0: I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Encardo, run hip hop, and then I'm on Twitter. Use hip hop statistics to heart the bigger picture.
1: And I am the director of the Fifth Element. My Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. And then that's gut shall get, then that's not shall lose. But God, I gotta get it. While the getting is good. Tongue twister there, but we got there. key. Okay. Just, just a little bit. just a little bit of a tongue twist, like a tongue, uh, like a, like a like a, a T twist of a twist. You know what I mean? Just like a small one. You know what I mean? So, anyway. Hi Ben, when was the last time you got a T twister, and what have you been listening to
0: this week? Well, actually, I got stung by a bee a couple of days ago for the first time in my life in the middle of my forehead, and it fucking hurt. And I'm not happy about it. So, no T-Twisters for me. Just a giant fucking beasting right in the fucking between my eyes. Anyway, I did listen to some music. I managed to get through some music despite being in excruciating pain. I listened to Baz's new record, but I only listened to it once. It's solid. It's solid. I enjoyed it. Uh, I need some more listens to it to, uh, yeah, just get my head around it. Uh, who else? Asap12, he dropped the Deluxe to his last project. Look oh, man. I... Uh, very underrated. Very, very underrated. Incredible vibe. Always a great vibe. Uh, the track with... I think you got Rocky and Ferg on a track, which I haven't heard ASAP Ferg in a very long time. So that was quite exciting. I enjoyed that immensely. Gucci Mane and BG dropped the project. BG of Hot Boy's fame and is fucking fire. And you know what? Like, Gucci Mane... I know that people don't talk about him as much as they did seven or eight years ago, but he I think he's entering a new kind of era in his career of just straight up consistency. Like every project that he's dropped in the last couple of years, I've enjoyed immensely. So yeah, man, that was very enjoyable. If you want just some bangers, I would fully recommend going listen to that. Uh, Currency and Trauma Tone dropped a project and again, super smooth. I tried to listen to a couple of different things last night. I was very anxious and uh, they just weren't working. I was trying to listen to Safyan, 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 Safyan Stevens, because I haven't listened to Javelin yet. And bro, after like 30 seconds, I'm like, nope, way too anxious for this shit. So I just put Currency on, totally calm, very enjoyable listen, so shout out Currency. Uh, Big Walk Dog dropped a project and it's full of bangers. I enjoyed that a lot, so I fully recommend checking that out. Um, and I think that was it. Aside from, I listened to the new Peter Gabriel album, I don't know what, this I and O or some weird symbolism, symbol thing. I did not know what to expect. It's his first album, I think, in 21 years, and I'm a massive Peter Gabriel fan. Hearing his voice again, it's like, you know when you grow up listening to something and someone and it's just so familiar to you? Hearing it in an unfamiliar setting, which is these songs, where these songs are not poppy, um... I'm going to talk a little bit about this because I think it's a brilliant album. You know, I actually went through Metacritic, right? And I, I do this sometimes a little bit. I just looked at the albums that are getting the highest reviews this year and this was right up there. So I was very curious. Oh, still... we got to do that.
1: We got to do that at the end of the year, don't yeah, we?
0: Yeah, we do. We do have to still do that. Yes. Do we do it? Do fun. we do it in December or do we do it in January? I can't remember. Um,
1: I forget. I'll, ch- I'll check back to when we did it yeah. so we can coordinate. That's going to yeah. be a while. i just, just remember that. I'll just remember that. Yeah. I need to do that again. No, it's That's
0: going to be fun. So yeah, Peter Gabriel, man. I did not know what to let. I did not know what. So if I slur my words, I'm very tired. Um, what to expect? But this was an incredible project for two reasons, or well, three reasons. Obviously, I love Peter Gabriel, but the way that he's dealing with mortality and he from my impression from the lyrics he's not someone who wants to pass on you know he wants to continue he's enjoying his life he feels like he's bringing meaning into the world and there's a lot of meaning in his world so he's really toying with this concept of i don't want to leave i know i have to at some point but i really don't want to do that and There's a lot of like logic and rationality in it, but there's a lot of emotion as well. Um, And then he kind of talks about just the human condition and us as a human race and a species. And the thing that I liked about it all was that he's someone who i see as he's obviously been very successful he's very rich you know he's you know he hasn't just retreated into a rock and roll lifestyle he's continued to progress as a person and and on a spiritual path as well and he's bringing that knowledge to us and i enjoyed that and just musically it complemented it really well um there were just real contemplative long contemplative stretches of music that would just build into these huge crescendos when he would kind of get to the end of a point or a story and then that would just become the crescendo so lyrically and sonically it would just rise at the same time and it's split into two sides the bright mix and the dark mix i enjoyed the bright mix much more uh the dark mix i didn't really pick up on I'm, i'm not sure i didn't really get into it but yeah man this was one of those albums that the critics are saying are great and i thought it was fucking amazing i i would fully recommend people listening to it. So, you know what? I actually listened to another album. I think Kylie Minogue dropped, I think it was. It must have been this year. Um, I enjoyed it, man. I, another artist that I fucking adore that I haven't heard from in a while. And, you know, I have no idea how old Kylie Minogue is, but these were just pop bangers about love and sex. And just, it was great, man. I, I really love Kylie Minogue. I've always loved her. And so, That was fun, man. It's totally different, two totally different albums. I think I listened to them on the same day uh peter gabriel just like making me feel shit about my own mortality and then kylie minogue reminding me that yeah just go and have sex and have fun bro you'll be fine so yeah it was it was a weird mix but yeah man that was me charlie what about yourself
1: yeah i got into two specifically um yeah the first one was uh big crit uh dropped an ep regardless it's still timeless um yes solid pretty good kit package um, i liked man on the moon i thought the finish of that particular track was a bit odd um but overall like the track but yeah man the rest of them was pretty solid can't complain uh pretty decent ep a little care package from Big crit can't complain about that and uh the other one was uh co contra uh the old way which mm. on the face was very odd because it was like six tracks but yet half an hour um and that was just uh that just i was like are they doing the jazz album now that's <laughs> just that's <laughs> a it was a weird format but it was pretty much just um, six beats, and they just just kept going. <laughs> Sometimes for like six minutes or nine minutes, I think, for one track. Um, so yeah, it was uh, pretty pretty interesting, I guess, as a as a as like a project uh, in in some ways of just having dudes just rap, you know, and not really care of subject matter or length they just keep going and going until they run out of bars basically um so yeah man it's really solid um like me some coast contra like me some coast contra um and yeah yeah pretty solid on that front and also song list is done and the ep list is being written as we speak so there's that and with that said, we shall hop into our topic for this episode, um, the reason why I'm behind on writing everything, because I had to listen to J-Live. Not complaining, but Ben picked it. That's what I'm complaining to
0: him instead of you know, J-Live. Krami it's not J-Live's river, fault, it's bro. Ben's fault. It's some Justin Timberlake in the background. Shame, back on, gra- ben.
1: Krami shame Krami on Ben, shame on Ben for making me behind. Shame. Shame you, Shame Krami on you. Sorry. Is this also oh, that's like the second Justin Timberlake reference this, this month? Um that's, that's I'm sorry bro, I grew up on him, I can't mind. help it, man. I know he turned out to be <laughs> a shit bag, but I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. L- yes. Um every year there's always a uh, a new revelation of how Justin Timberlake is a shit to human. Yeah. Um but anyway, well, well you can Google that yourselves, guys. Um but yes, we're hopping into the career of J Live, the solo Career of J Live. A very fascinating uh, figure um, in the context of hip-hop history, um, especially considering that, you know, he came through in the mid-90s, but kind of obviously got his chops um, in the early 2000s when he was basically doing music that nobody else was in some way. Um, Everybody was going one way, and he was, you know, going his own way, and uh, out of that, you know, became kind of like an underground legend in some ways. And, um, you know, it's continued to have a steady stream of drops, uh, whether it be, you know, whole albums or just the occasional EP here and there. And, um, yeah, he's producing, think he DJs as well. So, you know, he keeps he clearly keeps busy. Um, but, yeah, we're hopping into the, you know, the, the, the rare 2000s underground artist that actually got out unscathed and we actually are aware of still. Um, which is, yeah, considering where the 2000s was at, it was a very, um, bold choice to make, um, but he made it and, um, you know, dropped some, dropped some real gems, uh, for, for, for the hip hop geek, um, in all of us. Um, so yeah, with that said, Ben, what have you got for us?
0: Yeah, so my knowledge of J-Live is shockingly minimal. So I'm going to be pulling heavily from trusted sources. Um, And I think starting off with a quote from Skinny Friedman writing for Noisy back in 2014 will help situate J-Live in the landscape uh, because my knowledge was so bad that I actually thought he was from the late 80s and when I saw his debut album dropped in 2001, I thought there must have been some weird label mix up, and there was, we'll get to that. But here are the words of Skinny Freeman, because I think this was really important. He says, the problem with nostalgic golden era hip hop is that it is so much of it seems designed to guilt trip the listener into paying attention. Rappers harken back to the ever shifting golden era, as if mentioning the 90s New York hip hop existed automatically makes their lyrics as interesting and relevant as Big L was in 1994, which is quite a scathing thing thing to say, but anyway... But a two-decade-old style is still a two-decade-old style, and reminding the listener that it sounded good two decades ago doesn't fix that. So he started all that off, uh, and obviously then the the piece praises Jay Live, but I do think that it's a very interesting thing to say because I I think that that's 100% true, and that's kind of resurfacing at the moment where sampling, and a lot of people are talking about this now, sampling has got so lazy, they're just like, hey, let's just pull a song from 2001 and like literally put the same beat, same cadence, everything's the exact same, Except, and only Chopper's doing it, or fucking Doji Cat's doing it, or whatever. It's, it's, ter- I'm, I'm just pulling those names out of thin air. I don't know if they've actually fucking done it, but H, yeah, you know. So, you know, I I've thought that was an interesting lens to view J Live's career through because his debut album was supposed to drop in 1998, and I think if it had, it would have actually made mainstream waves. It had Pete Rock, DJ Premier, Prince Paul, 88 Keys, and DJ Spinner all on board for production, a debut single that blew up. I think it could have been a very different story. So I'm gonna tell the story. j Love J-Lo, J-Lo. J-Live chose hip hop as his vocation, age 12. And from that moment on, he was just locked the fuck in, man. Laser focused on carving out a career in hip hop. In an interview with The Fine Mag in 2015, he was asked how he's managed to earn a living off rap for so many years. And his response, I think, encapsulates the drive that he's had his whole career to succeed. So he says, it's quite a long quote. Um, There's different revenue streams as an artist, you have to be mindful of all of them. There's publishing, there's record sales, features, shows, there's merchandise. And then if you learn it and experience it, such as myself, there's learning events, speaking events, things of that nature. There's an author named Seth Godin, he talks a lot about marketing in today's area, society, and how, whereas before, everyone was trying to appeal to the masses, like a bell curve, so to speak, everyone wanted to be in the center mass, whereas now the fringe is so wide-spanning, there's a niche for everything. So there might be five million Fans of a pop artist, that pop artist becomes rich off those 5 million fans. There might be 10,000 J live fans that I make my living off, but they're dedicated and concentrated on what I do. They follow and support what I do. So the point of that is that's all I need. And when he was pressed, he continued and said, The purpose is to grow your fan base, obviously, but you don't have to grow it by trying to appeal to the masses as much as just focusing on your niche. I think that's what some people lose sight of when they compare themselves to pop artists. And you know, that's 100% true. I, I think that's very true. And that's something that I, that's advice that I think everyone should take if they're in the creative space. It's like, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, at the absolute pinnacle, you know, even in my example, right? Like as hip hop numbers, I don't have to be all these other accounts that are blowing the fuck up. I have to do my thing. I have to do hip hop numbers. That's what my followers wanna see, you know? so that's free game and i think it shows the dedication that he's shown towards his own career from the jump he literally discusses going to talks and seminars on how to market and maintain a music career i don't think i've ever heard a rapper say that even chameleon Air didn't say that you know we've done like 250 episodes and i've read a fuckload load of interviews and i have never heard a rapper say that they attended seminars on that so That was cool man. So obviously he's been tapped into this for a long time. So when he was in college in 95, he spent his spare time in the studio recording music. He eventually landed a job at Rorschach Records, which allowed him to release his first two singles, Longevity and Bragging Rights. This led to him hitting the holy grail of 90s underground attention, which was unsigned hype in the source. Now you have to remember about how essential this column was, okay? People who didn't grow up in the 90s, they're not gonna understand this, but there was no social media, zero, zero social media whatsoever, okay? The only way you found out stuff was on the news, in the newspaper, in magazines, or word of mouth from people in your immediate vicinity. So being an underground artist in the 90s sucked. It was very difficult, and it was expensive as well. You know, it was very difficult to record music. We talked a lot about 80s artists, who recorded their own music, they sold their tapes out of their trunk, they did everything themselves to kind of keep their costs down. But it was very difficult, you know. So there were very few people with the drive and ability to even release a debut single. Just a single, let alone get any attention for it. So Unsigned Hype was huge. It was very important. Here's J Live's entrance from November 95. This is is quite lyrical, so if I fuck it up, I apologize says J-Live is a genuine wordsmith, cast in the mold of true MCs. His lyrical stilo consists of pointed wordplay delivered in a subtly complex manner, somewhat reminiscent of rhyme technicians like Prince Poetry from Organized Confusion, Large Professor, and OC. On longevity... Uh, driving up tempo track layered by shimmering vibes and deep haunting textures J live spits metaphoric breakdowns in a calm almost nonchalant fashion with or without the mic my mind gets phonetic the mouth gets kinetically energetic it's simple as your alphabetics my words you mark and never mock long as my name has been (laughs) Jean-Jacques like bro come on now Brag and rides. I'll continue. Dragon rides further enhances the old school ethic that runs through J Live. A simple kick snare progression, butted up by frenzied live cutting done by J Live himself, provides rhythmic framework. He runs straight through on some out and out battle shit. I displays my credentials over instrumentals, and my potential increases at a rate that's exponential. It's detrimental, fucking with my thesis. My penetration's exact, like tennis bro. I don't even know what that fucking word is, man. Uh, am amniocentesis, bro, It's like, it's mental. Okay, it's just mental. So that was very evocative. That was written by uh, Selwyn Seifu. Uh, Selwyn Seifu Hines for the Source in '95. Very well written review. And if you read that there is no way you wouldn't immediately go and find those songs. I was—I originally wrote, go and play those songs, but this was 95, okay? So, again, can't just hop on iTunes or Spotify or something. You would have to then go out and physically find those LPs so you could listen to them. And, you know, to be honest, that's a review that could have described his debut album because it's that good. So the single sold 13,000 copies, according to an interview with Elemental Magazine, which was huge for an independent artist at the time. And J-Lo was very savvy with his time. He didn't just focus on rapping. He began working on his production. So he told Albumism he'd been DJing since 1988, but he never had access to production equipment, so he couldn't properly practice when he was at Rorschach. He had that access, so he began learning the S950 and the creative program on an Atari computer, which is crazy. He said, I was learning how to dig I was learning about records and jazz history and drum machines and things of that nature then when I was in college I had some experience on the ASR 10 but I didn't really have my own beat machine so I didn't want to consider myself a producer until I had my own tool not until 2000 did I get an MPC 2000 XL and that's when I started making beats you don't really hear me on the beat machine until the official pressing of the best part I did epilogue so he used the momentum of the single to push himself into the underground limelight at a time when major labels were still taking chances on underground rappers which is a practice that would end in a few years like it pretty much ended when you know 2000 happened so his relationship with Rorschach Records it began to sour towards the the mid the mid-90s or the towards 97 98 he jumped ship to Payday Records which is the label famous for fumbling Jay-Z like genuinely stupid um, and they fumbled J Live just as spectacularly. With Jay Z, they wouldn't agree to his royalty demands, so he left and created Rockefeller, which was monumentally stupid of payday. With J Live, they just didn't prioritize him. And J Live told Albumism this We were halfway through it, and then the guys at Rorschach kind of just bounced, and then I had to start over. And then Payday left and then I had to start over. And then London Records split from Polygram because Universal and Seagrams had this merger and then it was like this constant redo. By the time the record was released to press, it had like four mics in the source but it was shelved indefinitely. So then we had to go back and redo it again and then kind of revamp certain things and work with some of the same producers to make the same version that came out in 2001, which is crazy, man. And we've heard this story so many times. I'm ready to go about to get major distribution the artist has spent the last two years sacrificing everything for this moment and the label fucks it up and it gets held back and all that momentum is lost and you're stuck in limbo because you've got to think about this right it's very different now recording and releasing music is cheap and easy you can record a mixtape in a week blow it up on your socials in the 90s you had absolutely none of that you had a name a small fan base hopefully a few solid contacts you probably won't be leaving the label with your album unless you're working incredibly hard to release it and Live put that work in you know he fought really hard and he got control of his album and whilst he does look back poorly on the label situation he did tell an interviewer uh, with the website Ginger Slim which is a very weird website name in 2011 he doesn't regret the time that he spent in Limbo they asked how close he was to giving up and he responded Nowhere close. I was young and just finishing school. I was playing with house money. I built my rep up in those years to become the man I am today, which is a great response. So in early 2001, high quality bootlegs of this debut album began to appear, which was much better in quality than what had been heard before. And all of a sudden there was fresh hype. For a lot of people who worked with J Live and saw him perform or heard his early singles, the hype would have been huge because they knew how quality the music was. I mean, I read out some of those bars. I can't even read some of that shit out. It's just, it's too complex to read. Like it's fuck, I had to sound the words out phonetically. That's how, so people were really excited. And by 2001, the internet was actually beginning to be usable. And I think, like if I think back, I reckon I downloaded my first song in 1999 and by 2000, I reckon I would have had an album or two worth of songs on my computer. So it was possible to share an album. And it's not surprising that the best part had been shared throughout America by curious fans. So there was hype for this album, man. And in May 2001, it actually dropped. We finally got it, the best part. It's
1: probably worth um, spending the most time on these, um, at least the th- first three. Yeah. Totally. Because um, it's, <laughs> the um, I mean, it's, it's obvious if, <laughs> if uh, anybody... Uh, knows J-Live anyway, um, those are the best three albums, those are the, just, the, just the the quintessential J-Live I guess and the, in my mind, the moment where he just caught something creatively and you know that all happened in a space, within a space of you know five, four or five years. Um, but yeah the best part is um, I think next to all of the above all the above is the longest but um, best part is not far behind in uh you know hour 14 minutes and um while i usually lament albums being longer than you know an hour uh this is one of those rare occasions where i didn't really feel the 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 longevity of the album um the the consistency on this record is um very impressive, I must say. Uh the ability to just keep going uh, just drop in a ton of verses, um alongside obviously, you know, like you said, with the production list, is just um, you know, obscene for a especially for an underground record. It's uh it's kind of um, you know, it's kind of a who's who of um of, of producers at that point, right? um or or the ones that are kind of just or uh, were seemingly left in the 90s right and j live's brought him into the 2000s um lovingly <clears throat> excuse me and um yeah on that front it's just um you know supremely produced um every beat to be honest i just i just sat there just sat nice um in my ears um nothing felt abrasive The whole thing felt smooth. Um, J lives' uh, wordplay is smooth, and the like I said, the consistency is really what needs to be hailed here because at such a long runtime, I don't know many albums of this nature, where it's literally just here's a hip hop beat. I'm going to talk about some stuff, and I'm going to do it for over seventy minutes. (laughs) It's just, it's just really impressive um to to do all that and to not have any lull like there's no track on here there's just like that was right just all of them are good all of them are just worth listening to um and like i said i didn't really feel fatigued whereas you know there's plenty of other albums that go this long and i just feel fatigued after 50 minutes um this one just kept going and going and going and i didn't feel i didn't feel tired listening to it in any fashion um, so, you know, that's, that's timeless music for you. That's how, that's how that kind of shit works. You just, you, you, you achieve that, um, kind of, I believe out of luck. I don't know, you know, if it's replicatable to just make an album over 70 minutes and just, you know, get some beats, get some bars and, you know, just slap it on there. Um, and, you know, and hope for the best, you know, um, it's, this a, There's a there's just a inherent essence about this album that I can understand why people um, I think like hip hop golden age put it as like like in their top five of like um, albums of the century so far or something like that something of that nature and um, you know while I wouldn't go that far personally um, in terms of listening like that but I get it (laughs) I get it it's just it's just really a really easy album to play Um, and obviously you know stuff like uh rage for example just I, I can imagine just being so good live you know and uh, the uh, that's another thing i think the the considering the amount of producers that this record has um to have it be so seamless in transitions at points is just kind of really interesting um i was just listening to tracks and i was like okay that must be the same producer right because it just bleeds into the next track but no it literally it's just two d- two producers for each and um uh, yeah two producers covering the two tracks for example and uh yeah just 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 uh, just goes through seamlessly no problems at all and uh yeah it, the, the whole ordeal just um seems like it would have been strenuous and obviously the to get here to do the to just drop a debut um is impressive in itself but to have something that is so long yet so consistent is
0: is highly laudable yeah absolutely and as you say like it's not easy to do when you've got a bunch of different producers but to be honest these were all producers at the peak of their power at this point so um it came out fucking smooth man and look the first place i went to uh, when i've heard about this album was discogs to see how expensive it would be to actually buy one of the label presses that got released it's very cheap it's only 15 dollars uh, cheapest so the responses on the discogs page are really fascinating and i think they go a bit of a way to explaining why there was such a hype for this album and why j live was always in the backs of people's minds because you know you think, oh, hip hop golden age, give this top five album of the century. Like why? I personally had never listened to this record before, so and I feel a little bit self conscious about that fact. I didn't even really know it existed. But well, I'm going to read this like exchange. Right, there's a common exchange between Wax Finder General, which is a great name to be on on Discogs. This should be fun. And another person called Ill Defenso. So I'm going to read these comments. Actually, this isn't strictly a bootleg. The story goes that this was pressed up by J Live himself after he was screwed by a label and the rumors were that it wasn't to come out. And the reply is this, I read his bio, J Live was beset by a host of trouble, and they 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 link a link that doesn't work anymore. J Live was beset by a host of troubles, amidst constant label shuffling and plagued by a series of illegal bootlegs, the re- release of the best part was delayed for four years. There was some talk that J Live was behind some of the bootlegs, a few of which were of extremely high quality, and the ongoing saga became something of an underground legend. And then there's a little bit more context where someone said, I had him sign a copy of this in 2004. He was quite impressed that I had this. He said, Wow, I don't even have one of these myself. I have no idea what can be derived from that. Just, I thought I would share the story. So it's just interesting, you know, and it would not put it, I wouldn't put it past Jay Live for continuing to like, build that support for those three years and just, you know, releasing bootlegs. Like that's a genius way to do it. And, you know, my understanding from previous interviews was that a few copies circulated before it was pressed up by the label and maybe a demo, but nothing came of it until a few years later when it began to pop up online. So maybe he did release it himself after all. And you can see why people were so hyped for it because they heard it and they were hyped for it to drop because it's so fucking great. Like, just think about that. Imagine if you just heard it in 99 just randomly and you're like, holy shit, this is a good album because it is, it's a great fucking album. And then that just like that mis- that mystery around it, that mystique, that would have been really cool. So it's a storytelling masterpiece, I think. A great record. The lyricism is second to none. But the production is very fascinating to me. When I first spun the album, I was like, this is the actual exact production of the underground from like 2001 to maybe 2007 i just had this like flashback to ugly Duckling, killing buck 65 sage francis cadence weapon like it was a sound that was very familiar to me it was meant to drop in 98 and he began recording this in 96 now i've probably missed a bunch of bridges between the mid 90s underground sound and the mid 2000s underground sound but when you consider that the production was handled by 88 keys pete rock prince paul dj spinner dj premier it does make sense that it would sound pioneering, and I, I do think it does. But it's not just the production to me, it's also his cadence. On his beats, is just, it's something I've heard many times in albums that dropped in the underground in the early 2000s. Um, it's just like, I don't know, man, it was it was really interesting. It just feels really ahead of its time. There's plenty of quotes in interviews. Um, he told a lot of people about it, Like he talked about it a lot, people were very curious, there was a lot of press about it. And you know, as Charlie said, it's up there, like people talk about it, hip hop golden age put in their top of the of the century, and it's a wonderful record, and I think everything about it is a credit to Jay Live, his perseverance, his talent, his ear for beats. Uh, and the justification of the trust he had in himself and this album. He had to create his own independent label just to drop that. And you don't do that unless you truly believe in something. And in the end, he was right. It's a timeless record. It's a classic record. And I think it's something that every hip-hop fan should listen to because it just has everything. It has absolutely everything. The production is top tier. The lyricism, the cadences, the flows, just the mind-bending like, flows that he gets into. its It's brilliant. So... Yeah, it's a great record. And then we get All of the Above, which is his sophomore record. Yeah,
1: so um, Hip Hop DX included on their uh, 30 best underground hip hop albums since 2000. That was in 2015. And uh, Hip Hop Golden Age in 2020 ranked number three in their top 150 hip hop albums of the decade. Shit. Um, so, yeah, just a, just a decade on that front, which makes sense. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, um, All of the Above. Okay. Uh, I got basically. It f- it's it's hard to it's hard to just uh, you know uh, what's the word uh, uh, differentiate. I was playing this just right after the first one, and it literally feels like more of the same. And it's not a bad thing. It's just, it just makes it even more impressive this one's an hour and seventeen minutes, and <laughs> also, and it's also goes down pretty freaking smooth. Um, I appreciate the um, interludes that break things up a little bit. Um, I'm here for that. But yeah, stuff like um, MC, and then right into Like This Anna was kind of fun. Um, nights Like This, A Charm Life, and all of the above. Travelling music actually right after that. 14, 15, and 16. Terrific three-track stretch for me. Um, little dub version of satisfy because why the hell not? It's just... It's uh yeah it's it's got a nice um it's got a nice variety to it i will say um and yeah i just i' just, it's 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 crazy how just these two albums just come through as a, as a back to back and it's just really <laughs> literally as consistent um you know i thought i think i saw a quote somewhere saying this one was more ambitious in scope. And I kind of get where they're coming from on that front. Um, I think ambition in the form of production, I think is definitely worth a shout considering um, the J live did, I would say the majority of the production. I'm seeing his name f- at least half the time on this. when I mean, I'm seeing the producer list. So, you know, can, that's, that's definitely a big difference here compared to the first album and um, to have, to have that as well, and it also feel, again, pretty freaking seamless, and the lyrics are up there as well, and everything's consistent, but now you've just also added the fact that you've done, I'm just gonna throw out 50% as a ballpark number, but 50% of the production is hella impressive, there's 21 tracks on here, man, 21 tracks, like, there's a lot, (laughs) this <laughs> hour 17 min- 74 minutes that's a lot so yeah man just again just uh highly consistent extremely impressive and again didn't make me tired can't believe it
0: yeah, i mean that's the thing man like these kind of albums you sometimes you don't want them to end like sometimes i'm listening to an album and i'm just like Please don't end, please don't end. And you know, you could argue this is his best album. It's his most successful, uh, number 28 on Billboard Heatseeker's album chart, number 16 on the Independent Albums chart, was the only time that he would chart on Billboard. And he proved himself to be a very, very quick study. As Charlie said, he handles production on a lot of this uh, alongside DJ Spinner and Joe Money. And it's really diverse. And it's actually a bit of a joy listening to it because it's sequenced brilliantly. Uh, each transition brings you smoothly into a a new sound it's very exciting you know I wasn't expecting to hear nights like this which sounds like an LL song from 95 on an album recorded and released in 2002 but it is perfect and the transitions are delicious man traveling music into a charm life is fun and then that hard left turn back to boom bap at the end of the album it's a very wild ride and lyrically, he traverses a lot of territory, and I have to say, I enjoyed listening to this album more on repeat listens than his debut, which is kind of wild to think that he could even top a debut like that. Um, and you know, he's now dropped two of the best hip hop albums of the decade so far, like two incredible records that have been, you know, acknowledged by outlets like Hip Hop DX, just saying this is a great fucking, this is a great couplet of records. He was having. Praise heaped upon his music. He was beginning to find some mainstream attention. He signed with Penalty Records, which at the time was under the Warner umbrella through Ryko Disc. Um, so, you know, a major label, or at least a label of enough pull to, to blow an artist up. I mean, they blew up Nori with Super Thugs. So there was no doubting its clout. And I think that that was all a testament. And it's interesting that it really came full circle for him because obviously in the mid 90s, there was a lot of attention on him. And so he signed. And then payday fucked him up and fucked the whole thing up and, and destroyed it and that put him in purgatory i mean he was he was working as a teacher like he was just doing stuff other than music and, and trying to earn his way whilst he was he, he always had this belief in his hip-hop career he was like i'm always i'm gonna be a rapper i'm gonna be a, a great rapper i'm gonna have a fan base and i think that all of the above you know he talks about it a lot in interviews this was a very very pivotal album for him he talks about how it was his commercial and like mainstream debut and that it brought him to the attention of so many people it's interesting because i've heard uh currency say something similar i think it was in the rap radar podcast and he was talking about when he went on to a major label and he said he didn't make any money off that But it like he didn't make any money out of the major label deal but it it brought him to such a wide audience that he was so confident that his music was good that even if like 10 million people listened to it he could get a hundred thousand fans out of that that would stick with him and he's like fuck yeah man a hundred thousand that's a lot i mean jay live in the previous quote was saying ten thousand fans was enough for him to make money off and succeed and have you know a viable career so he talks about this album regularly even though he doesn't particularly it's interesting because you know all artists i guess are gonna say that their most recent work is their best i mean it's funny i was listening to an interview a long time ago with jay-z about magna carta holy grail and he was just like yeah it's it's up there it's probably my fourth best album and if you look back on it you're like yeah it's your worst album by such a margin bro like are you irrational like what are you talking about and jay live's similar you know he talks about his current album's and Saying that he's grown as an artist and that those early albums were, you know, maybe not his best work um, But he does say with all of the above uh, He talks about the concept of your debut album taking your entire life to make, you know jay Z's talked about that before a lot of artists have saying that you can't really top your debut because it took you 20 years or 25 years to to make and then your second album can be a bit of a letdown But J-Live actually says that All of the Above is his debut album in that sense. This was the album that he poured himself into. The first album, he said, was a bit chaotic. He didn't really know what he was doing in the recording process. You know, it was just kind of a label thing at times. But he said this is the one that he really poured himself into. And even though he doesn't look back on it as one of his top three albums that he's made, which I think is wild... um, he says it was pivotal for him. And so it really was. And I think it's important to just look at his career at this point. He was on the precipice of something quite huge for the second time now. And then he kind of had that attention. And then we get his third album, The Hereafter, which yeah, is an interesting record. I'm curious to see what you think about this one, Charlie. Um, I think lesser of it. Mm.
1: And I have been kind of... um. I've been kind of wondering to myself why because I feel like there's something there's something that was missed for me when listening to the hereafter. um it may the closest thing I can pinpoint um and just putting it broadly was the production on a few tracks here and there. I think um there's just like a there was just elements in some that, uh, kind of just, uh, threw me off in some way, um, but that's really, it might sound minuscule, but considering I've listened, uh, at this point, we've listened to, you know, two hours, uh, nearly two and a half hours worth of J live music, and then I just get a couple of beats here and there that I'm kind of not into, hey man, that's, that's notable enough for me to speak on, so that's literally it for me, I, I feel, it's, it's nothing too. Um, it's nothing to, uh, you know, it doesn't turn me off, you know, uh, the whole thing, the whole idea, um, but yeah, it's literally just a few beats here and there that I kind of wasn't into, and I just chalked that up to the fact that it was the 2000s, um, as I do for most things, it's the mid-2000s. You're just gonna get some beats that ain't gonna work for me. So that, that's that's all it is. I'm just gonna chalk it up with that. But um yeah, it's, it's uh, only fifty minutes this one, so it's incredibly shorter. Um Odyssey on Oh Yeah, that was cool on production, really like that one. Um James Poiser, um, with Listening Cola Rock, I really love I really love that track, a really good track. Um uh Dwelle on Coming Home was uh, interesting as well. Uh th- think i think the sidewalks is another favorite of mine Is other sidewalks or whoever um i think that's good uh do my thing as well actually was really good as well so yeah there's some there's some notable tracks for me personally here as well but um yeah it's just a couple of beats here and there i'm just like i'm just not you know right right home about so that's all it is
0: yeah yeah this one was um i have a couple of thoughts on this but first things first he does take a lot more production responsibility so he's eight of the 13 tracks most of those without a co-producer as charlie said help from odyssey and a couple of underground legends on production it's a very interesting choice for an album that had a push behind it and to me it's a mess like a bit of a mess anyway there are mainstream sounding beats early 90s g-funk beats uh bangers like audio visual piano ballads it's a mix that really only works for me because, as Charlie said, the format of the early 2000s and every major label album, they were all over the place. Even Eminem albums. Nobody's safe. Nobody's safe. No. nobody safe. As I say, even Eminem albums, okay, which had tight concepts. There was so much variation in those production choices, if you go back and listen. You'd be like, what the fuck was going on here? And they just sound like a weird... 2000 albums sound like a mishmash of every available mainstream sound. And The Hereafter has some of that quality, which is a mashup of different sounds... And I do find it fascinating to see where his mind goes with the production choice because a lot of these beats recall very specific time periods or artists. I think it's also his vocals. I think he's very adept at molding them around production or creating a new melody or sound and direction depending on what cadence he chooses, which is epic, but it also does lend itself to... I mean, I've always felt this way. It must be very difficult to create Sometimes as an artist and if you're trying to create something that you want people to enjoy How the fuck are you gonna know that like what you know what I mean? Like J lives obviously choosing this production and these these cadences and these sounds on purpose But you know without context around it. It's difficult to know why so I do like the album um, but I I personally and this is why I think I feel like it didn't perform as it hoped I think it was his final real attempt to breach the mainstream. It got reviews in The Guardian, Pitchfork, the AV Club, Pop Matters as well. So you can see that there was interest in it, but most people seem to be a little bit perplexed at the inconsistent nature, especially after coming. You know, there were two incredibly tight records before that. So coming after those two records to drop a bit of a mishmash is, you know, it's a bit disappointing. And to be honest, that's kind of where his career faltered a little bit at this point. And. You know, it's very difficult to do three great albums in a row. You know, I think we talked about it in the Ghostface, um, the Ghostface episode where they asked him how bad he felt that he fucked up a three peak because he had, could add three classics in a row, and he was just like, "Yeah, man, I, f- I felt fucking bad." Like, it's not common. It's very difficult to have three classics in a row. No one does that. So, it's a hard thing to do, and unfortunately. Again, this is why I said right at the start, if he had dropped that record in ninety eight, I feel like it would have been a completely different situation. Bro, LOX were blowing up in ninety eight, man. Like you it's a different landscape to two thousand and one. Way different. The Bling era was just different. People were spending millions of dollars on videos at that point. And so J Live kind of he was right on at the, the very tail end of that mainstream, underground into mainstream transition that so many had made. I mean, Jay-Z made it, Big L made it, Mob Deep made it, so many artists made it, Nas made it, Biggie made it. Like, it was a big thing. So it was just, if that had come out in 98, what else would have happened? That's a classic album, probably chart well on Billboard. Next album, classic album, probably chart even better on Billboard. That sets you up, man. That's like, it doesn't matter what your third album does at that point. It can be a little bit bad. It can be a little bit messy. It can be a bit of a, a mishmash of just sounds that people don't get. It's still going to sell. People are still going to be interested. They're going to be like, well, you just dropped two classics. That's okay. You can have a bit of a misstep. But it felt like momentum was really quite lost when this album didn't really perform that well. And then we kind of get into, you know, the next five albums and the kind of later, mid to later career, which, yeah, then we get, then what happened.
1: Even though I said um, the first three are probably the most noble and worth talking about, I think the, I think then what happened is kind of like, I think that's when the cutoff happens for me after this. Um, so this one drops in way, And um, I personally feel this is also a pretty solid album I think better than the third one at least um so you know it's, it's, it's just it's right there right it's just it's been the third but obviously not on the same level as the first two they can't be at this point right it's just not gonna happen um but I do I do, I do enjoy this album actually I, do, I really do enjoy this album wholeheartedly um I think there's some really good moments on here uh Be No Slave I love the sample in that one uh, pos and the uh, Odyssey on the upgrade banger. Uh, the understanding's interesting. Ole, just that, uh, just that constant ole coming, coming on that one. It's is nice. I like that. Uh, what are you hoeing? Uh, Holding, sorry, hoeing her. <laughs> uh, ooh oh tune, 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 tune. Love that to death. Uh, my boy Charlie Tuna on The zone really good, so yeah, man, there's some really good stuff on here. I've really uh enjoyed this one, but I think more about the it's more about the last track as well. Um, you out there, where he kind of just does that, um, you know, kind of gives off that wave goodbye to his fans kind of thing that people do sometimes. It's just like you know, thanks for everyone rocking with me. Da-da-da-da-da. You know what I mean so it, it felt there there was a finality in that um I felt it felt like a end of an era at, at that point for him um and then afterwards it's just uh when he's just he just drops because he feels like it you know what I mean and I feel um yeah I, I don't know how to class then what happened on uh in the you know in the uh, story arc here um it, it, if it does feel like the end of something um but even though he obviously drops a ton of stuff afterwards there just feels like a finality to this one where it's like um i don't know how to word it because um, uh, he 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 does get into a point after this where lyrically i think he changes up and i was thinking about the uh, quote you made uh where he was talking about how he's grown as a as a lyricist and I think after this point, after then what happened, you while well the while well the works themselves are kind of just um, I don't know, just like artistic check-ins. <laughs> right? um, there are plenty of moments um, which I which I'll try and uh, point to uh, as we go, where he just quits looking, quits thinking local, you know, and gets very overall with his commentary and uh you know talks about a lot of subjects that he probably you know wasn't even thinking about in 2001 um he clearly just becomes more worldly he has obviously traveled after that point and uh just hits on things um that i kind of find very fascinating uh even though i feel after this album it kind of just
0: uh feels like he's dropping just because he can if that makes any sense mm. no i agree i agree um this album is interesting and I do want to like read out a couple of quotes because he did a fascinating interview with albumism where he explained the process of his first three albums and he railed, as I said earlier, he railed against the implication that your debut album is always going to be your best. Um, so he said to albumism when referring to all of the above and how that album impacted the next two albums he said it was a best-selling album. It really impacted and showed that I was relevant in the industry and not just off the bootleg of the best part. It legitimized things and really was like a springboard as far as actually having a proper setup, a proper budget, proper marketing, proper distribution, proper publicity and I've been chasing that ever since. Just following it up with record after record. So albumism then asked him if it was the the end of the beginning and he replied yeah i would say end of the beginning is a good way to put it and it's funny because people know that the best part is a classic and then they kind of caught up to the fact that all of the above is a classic too so it's nice to have at least two classics under my belt i think then what happened if it gets the recognition it deserves it'll probably be another classic i wouldn't call all of my albums classics but I think those three and SPTA and Around the Sun, Around the Sun, I'm pretty proud of too. So he, he's like, I think all my arms are classic basically, except for a couple. But the criticisms of them, what happened, centered around the same issues people had with the Hereafter, which was it was sonically inconsistent. But conceptually, it's quite tight. It's a much more personal record i felt that there were more anecdotes and more vulnerability and i don't necessarily see vulnerability as something you have to overtly show you know you don't have to be mac miller to be vulnerable on on a record i feel like revealing any personal information or thoughts that you're uncomfortable sharing is vulnerability to me anyway And it's in this record, it's quite nice to hear Jay Live continuing to push forward lyrically and try and chart new territory. We did Large Professor a few weeks ago, and we've done a lot of artists on this podcast who really settled into a groove and stayed in it their whole career. And I think Jay Live definitely did after this record. But for the first four, um, I don't think necessarily he did that. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that, it's totally fine, Currency has been doing it for 15 years and I adore him, but to me, J Live was always first and foremost an MC, even if he was an incredibly adept DJ and producer, and the MC keeps the crowd engaged and entertained, and in that sense, I think this album is great, and you know, it's quite revealing at times, and like, on Be No Slave, for example, like, that's one of the best songs, man, that's fucking Wow, he raps. I'll I'll read some of it out. It's simple and plain. We're making a change and breaking the chains and taking the reins and saying giddy up. No more free labor. You better divvy up. You're fucking with the wrong one like chlamydia and I'm gonna come back burn your whole committee up. J for vendetta blow the whole city up so fuck a demonstration seeking reparations that's why some felt better off during segregation we still mingle with others but it's deeper because at least back then we knew who our people was and it's just as the song progresses he gets truly incendiary and it's another example to me of the range he has you know he can keep time he can bring in emotion he can insight revolution and this album is another example of an mc at the peak of his powers even if sonically it's a little inconsistent and the production isn't you know, it not up there. Um, I still think it's great. I still think that he is someone who, he draws your attention. And yeah, man, I, I like the album. I do. I just, it's difficult. It's kind of the law of diminishing returns a little bit with J Live. Like it just kind of peters off a little bit now. And then we get SPTA.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so this is kind of just where, you know, it's just uh, there and I'm just getting albums that I feel just, just, uh, yeah, just just dropping it to drop it, and that's fine by me. I can't, I'm, I'm not going to complain. Um, but yeah, there's a. Uh, let's see the track list here. Yeah, there's some there's some good there's some good stuff on here. You know, um, the authentic, uh, the me and you, no time to no waste, pronounced Spirit, great expectations. I like the beat too. Um, poetry in Urshia. Ur- um but yeah, this is kind of where I'm talking about when it comes to uh he just has this point where he just starts to uh look outward i feel and uh just tries not to um get too uh in some in some ways kind of like you're saying when you know you get comfortable in a certain spot right I feel like he does that in some essence. But he also, I think, does put in effort to um, widen uh, the vocabulary and widen the um, and widen the subject matter as well, I believe. You know, the me and you, on for, for instance, here. I want to know what's your hopes, what's your fears, what's your goals, what's your pet peeve, your bright ideas. Your magnetic dragnet is attracting me, audiovisual olfactory, three-fifths wrapped up in your faculties. There's so much that precedes the other two after nothing but the actual facts of me do with what I leave that up to you. It's just it's just some interesting just uh, ways of going about things and uh, yeah I I'm, I you know again I appreciate the fact that um, while maybe on the production side it come it com- can come across as uh, samey. Um, or as you said, Lord Rings Returns, which is probably the best uh, <laughs> the best way of uh, labelling these albums at this after this point. Um it's cool as well, so cock Yeah,
0: yeah. Um I I had some interesting thoughts on this. Um so he actually didn't in that albumism interview, they talked a lot about his albums and, and how he situates them. Um and he says, you know, that Around the Sun and SPTA, that they are his top two and that you have to take into account his growth as an artist. I understand that, but like as a listener, I'm, I'm not necessarily seeing that. Um, rap Reviews made the point that SPTA could be verbalized as spitter, something that doesn't necessarily define J-Live, but is certainly oh, informative. The detectives over, the, over there. Over yeah, there. Rap Reviews, man. They really uh, they put their heads together and came up with that one. Jesus, man. I never would have thought Never would have crack thought. The co- crack the case. Never would have thought. Da Vinci Code level. Um, even though I've never read that book, I have any idea what that's about. But, um, Neither have I. Neither have I. <laughs> so, <laughs> look. in so the film either. No, fuck. No, no. I'm never reading it. I try to read a Dan Brown book. He's the worst writer ever. Fuck, fucking terrible. But anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. Just fucking Dan Brown straight. Yeah, sorry, I just had to drag Dan Brown right quick. <laughs> All right, then. All right, cool. Cool. No, so... Look, this is how I see it. Okay, sometimes I see these long-standing underground rap careers kind of like rocks being eroded a little bit. The grooves form over time and it pigeonholes artists into certain categories. And whilst J-Live is an adept musician in so many ways, I think his rhyming ability continued to evolve and progress. And so... SPTA is an app title 15 years into his career because I think he gets more confident and self-assured and this gives him al- his albums a more mature and calmer edge as he gets older it's not necessarily my cup of tea but i do understand where it's coming from and you know we've done so many artists and and even groups on this podcast where they have such a dedicated following and they drop pretty much the same thing over and over again and people eat it up and they love it and i'm i'm like that with some artists i totally understand it it's just with j live it just didn't really it didn't really hit for me and you know so for his final three albums i did kind of want to lump them together because i it's not that i dislike them <laughs> Um, t- <laughs> but you know what? I was what? just
1: about to say, which <laughs> one's your favorite out the bunch, and we'll just talk about that. Well,
0: <laughs> probably, probably around the sun is my favorite, okay? Um, but again, it, yeah. it's not easy to uh, pick one because they're, they're consistent and they're a little bit stagnant, so yeah, I don't know. Man. Uh,
1: yeah, let's be, let's be, let's be clear, right? These albums ain't bad by nah, any means. Like they're not trash. They're not mid. They're fine. They're so <laughs> they're solid. Bring it back. Uh, bring it back. Reference for last week. It's solid, right? And yeah, it's it's just. Uh, but when you when you listen to you know two classics in the beginning, and um, you know I've been listening to these albums over the past two days, so it's just been very dense for me in terms of listening to them. Like, you know, I'm listening to the first two albums and I just get, you know, just so much flavor from it. And, um, you know, when you when you get to, you know, hour seven, you know, it is what it is. You just get to a point where you, you, you're, you're trying to extrapolate um, things out of it and uh, you just uh, you just can't. Uh, maybe that's just my listening habit. Maybe I should have spread it out over time. Who knows? Um, but, you know, even, even, <laughs> even the artwork, bro, just, <laughs> what is the artwork for his own self geez? What What is, what is going on here? Around the sun is literally like a photo that's just had his background, uh, background removed. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> it's just, I just found that a bit weird to, to that. And, uh, uh that, that was kind of amusing. So yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's kind of hilarious to me seeing those um, but yeah, i I probably agree with you, I'll probably say, um, I'll probably say, uh, Around the Sun out of the three, um, I love the Boog Brown feature, love me some Boog Brown anytime I can see Boog Brown on there, so dub for me, um, Homeboy Sandman as well, um, I do like City to Sea actually, uh, with Sam London, I really like that, that's, that's probably, you know, some form of, um, I feel something that he definitely wouldn't have done, you know, in the, in the best part era, so, um, you know, I respect it. I respect there's some um, uh, what's the word? Uh, Some variety in here and um, willingness to switch it up. So you know, there's some. Like I said, you know, there's some. If you if you ask me specifically, you know, there's some gems in all three of these that we're just going to clump together for the sake of time and also just because there's not really much to say about all three of them um you know how much is water really is literally nine tracks 37 minutes it's bordering ep level um ep length anyway um so you know it's is is what it is and um I, I do like the thematics of how much is water i, I would say you know there's it, a lot of um very easy to gather uh, thematics going going throughout. Even with when you get into the titles, it's kind of just a uh, it, it it can it can set you up um, for for something interesting. Um, but yeah, I say all that to say, <laughs> give me around the sun and uh, bin that his own self artwork, please.
0: Yeah, his own self artwork is wild, man. That looks like that's yeah that's that's awesome i think that's fucking great like no lie it's terrible but it's so good it's just him looking at himself in a mirror and just like j life his own self written on ms paint he just printed that straight up and slapped it on the front of his cd like i love it man so <laughs> that's wild yeah no it's interesting interesting career someone who i had never listened to before who i'd heard only really spoken of secondhand people don't talk about j live that often and yeah, this was, you know, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground on this podcast and there's still so many artists that we haven't really tapped into and, and like spoken about yet. It's just, it's wild to me, man. It really is. It's just like, yeah. And as Jay Live said in his own interviews, like I've carved out a career. He's like, I'm, this is financially viable for me and it always will be. He knows exactly what he's doing and shout out to him man shout out to him because that's the fucking dream it's not easy to do that you might think it is but it absolutely isn't especially as an independent artist you know he's doing it all himself so even down to the artwork so shout out j live uh, <laughs>
1: nice nice we'll finish there on that uh, on that very well timed very well timed bob and the uh, hobbits are like no if you have anything bad uh
0: bro just don't get stung i by went to here. see salt bro Holy oh yeah you shit. Got to, you've got to talk about this shit because i saw your tweet and your tweet blew up a little bit actually did it okay yeah for sure. like 20 20 likes saying i gave a little Jeez, bit oh yeah, no man come you, on, you're going you a little know. bit viral
1: a little bit, just a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, so I went to see SALT, S-A-U-L-T, um, obviously a collective led by Inflow, including the likes of Clio Soul, Chronics, Lil Sims, etc. Uh, Michael Kiwanuka as well. Um, and yeah, <laughs> the funny thing is, is um, there were so many ways to actually talk about this. Um, I, I was with someone, well, I was with someone there, and I was saying, let me know when the point of... 99 quid felt worth it to you Because I already reached that point <laughs> And that was like maybe t- A third of the way into the show Um So yes It was 99 quid It was a place called Drum Sheds Which was fundamentally a, uh, a dead Ikea um, And It was On the face Like you know when you bought the ticket And when I saw the price I was like Excuse me for what <laughs> You know what I mean uh, and i've never been to drum sheds before i knew it was um by the same people that had printworks which was another kind of um well it was a, it was a it was a former um uh, well printing press obviously it's printworks as you can imagine right um so yeah it was, was essentially the same dudes and you go there to you know ma- most of the time i see you know raves happening there you know just just DJs, just DJ, and everyone having the time of their life and stuff like that. So I'm thinking Drumsheds is a really weird place to do a sort show, the only sort show, the once in a lifetime sort show that we've been waiting for ten albums worth. Um, so yeah, uh, we get there, and uh, like I said, the 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 price made itself um, very evident to me as soon as we entered because it kind of made this interesting experience on the way in so we go in literally i'm not kidding you a back of an ikea right it sounds stupid but it was really interesting it just added to the vibe i don't know why so you go in there and it's literally just a ton of like you're going through this like little cornucopia of just like storage of like decades old boxes just covered in thickest dust you've ever seen And then you, and then, like, we see, like, a, you know, wall of time cards, old-ass time cards. And then you walk into this other bit where it looks like a weathered home from the 70s, London. And there's, like, TVs about. And then you walk through a fridge. Why walk through a fridge? Don't know, but walk through a fridge. And then you walk through this, like, like an abandoned tunnel. You know what I mean? Just one of those, like, big abandoned tunnels, right? Then they send you left. And then you come into this literal art installation, it's like reflective it's white lights it's some plant life at the you know going going by you're walking through you make a turn and then there's all the salt albums there in perspex glasses and everyone's taking pictures of them and shit cuz you know people love it and then you enter the actual space itself and then there's this big ass wall and it has like it's, it looks like a looks like a stone tablet um like ten commandments kind of tablet you know what i mean larger shit Um, and then you have what is fundamentally five stages, um, and you can't see all these stages at once, um, so, how can I visualise it? So, in the middle was, like, this circular stage encased in glass, and it had, like, a few keyboards in there and stuff like that, um, a few instrumentations, so enough for one band, right? So, that's that, and then that's encircled by, you know, just, like, large steps, which can basically be seats, um... But they weren't for seating because the main stage was in front of it, um, in the back. Um, And, you know, that was kind of like one stage, catwalk, and then like this um, elevated plinth with like a light on it. Um, And then on to to the left and right of those stages were technically other stages where you would see the artists in silhouettes. Now, this is the thing. Obviously, the anonymity thing is, you know, part of the charm here. We know who's involved in of uh, salt as a collective in, in this day and age if you just listen to the music it's pretty easy to gather who's who's part of it um but obviously to keep up the mystique and actually you know instead of like looking at their faces and stuff like that they you know come out now and again but they're masked to all hell they're masked they're covered in they're covered by you know just hats with you know just like you know the uh, 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 I forgot the I forgot the term for uh, things in front of them but yeah you know just stuff covering their faces right so you know you know who they are but they're faceless right and that's part of the charm and then on the left of me i have this string orchestra two harps in that motherfucker bro and um and also like clarinets as well bass clarinets and stuff so it's not just strings but yeah an orchestra And they're, they're like, in in this, like, glass housing and, like, these nice lights. And then on the right, far right of the stage, you have, like, these big-ass steps for a choir coming through. And then there's, like, another stage on the top right, just, like, uh, in, like, an advantage point. Really odd. Is this worth, does this sound worth 99 quid to you yet? You know what I mean? This is the point. This is what I meant when I tweeted, I can't go to arena shows anymore. Now, I wasn't probably going to arena shows ever again anyway because I'm just I just don't really see the 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 reason to do so these days. Um, I just don't find them that appealing um, as as entertainment entities. Um, it's not intimate at all. Um, obviously, this you know for stuff like Renaissance, for example, that's kind of the point. It's supposed to be a big show, big you know big uh, uh, things happening, and it's supposed to be a visual visual cake to eat, right? Um, but comparing this to something like seeing Kendrick for the damn tour for 92 quid I feel like Kendrick robbed me and I feel like I robbed Salt, that's how that's how good this show was obviously you had the music, right it went into this, like, it uh, started off with these um, with this dude, I've, I don't know what origin I would I would guess you know, Latin America, but I'm, I'm being very generalising, it might not be that but he's like doing this drum shit and he's like shouting, no! You know what I mean? Doing that drum shit, he's doing that for like half an hour, and then uh, and then we move, we go nearer to the orchestra bit, and then they start their bit, and they're basically doing a re- uh, reminiscence of like uh, the air albums, and the classical composition is powerful, and there's choir coming through. Meanwhile, there's like a whole last like high fashion catwalk happening, right? And then you get into, like, this Africa section, and then, like, these dancers come through, and they're doing their shit, da 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 music's still going, these Brazilian drummers come through, and then there's these two dudes performing capoeira behind them, it's fucking sick, and you don't know where to look, you don't know where to look, there's just so much shit happening. Um, then they get into, like, a medley of um, things, uh, uh, you know, Cleo comes out, and everyone's gassed, and then... Uh, Sims comes through to do "Fear No Man" and just "Fear No Man." It's the only time she performs. that's crazy to think about. Um, just having you know Sims <laughs> offer off the back of her own tour, they've yeah, just come through for this one track. She does come through to do uh uh for to do uh some of the uh, later tracks, but she's um uh, she's literally just like holding a, like a one of those like mini keyboards and she's just doing that. It's just it's just impressive. Um, but yeah, you have all these people and. It's just such a production. And, you know, things come and go. You're focusing on certain things. Um, There's a bunch of, uh, you know, dances happening. And clothing changes. Wardrobe changes. And Chronics comes out and does Warrior. And it's just... It's just such a feast, bro. It's such an absurd feast of performance art, music... And even just saying music sounds generalising. The fact that Salt managed to not just create music over the years that has covered the the widest the widest net possible in music as a diaspora um to do all that and then actually replicate it and to put it on a show to involve every single facet of it the african elements brazilian elements there was funk elements near near to the end um Obviously, hip hop elements of with of stu- with, like Sims rapping, um, the classical compositions, the choir—it's um, just absurd, bro. It was just absurd. <laughs> the ninety nine quid was well spent, bro. Honestly, like I I don't know if they're ever gonna do something of that ilk again. Um, if they do, hopefully, other people get a chance to see it because fuck, I like I said, it ruined it. Don't don't talk to me about anything any show like 50 quid over there's no point it's not going to feel worth it to me i've seen salt now and i've seen them do it in the most absurd way possible uh to have art installations to have the just have this visual meal This this dedication to performance art as well as the music and to intertwine everything um and have all these thematics is just absurd to me Um, I don't know any artists or collective of artists that would actually go that far in terms of curation. Um, it's, it's just genuinely like absurd to, to, to actually say that I saw all that, um, and experienced all that for what was 99 quid and not feel robbed at all. I I feel so vindicated to actually go there, um, you know, I initially was sceptical about, you know, the fact that A, it was 99 quid, and B, it was at a place called Drum Sheds. Once I looked up what Drum Sheds was, I was just like, is this really the place? <laughs> but but they used the space, bro. They used the space. They, was give, they, they got this big-ass space, and they fucking used it. At five stages, and you had to make business decisions of where to stand, and... If, yeah, it was just such a meal. So, um yeah, just so salute to every single person that was involved in that um in that thing in that whole show because there were so many people just clearly involved in that in that and in, in that whole uh, in that whole ordeal. Um it could have been so simple, um, but they really just blew it out of the water in terms of scope. It was the most ambitious show I've ever been to and I probably will ever be to
0: interesting is it just opens up a lot of questions just about pricing and you know obviously they were in their locality so you know taking something on the road like that would be very very challenging uh, and not cost effective at all you know I think to 50 cent last week and that was a massive stage show but like I don't know man like the, I could see where the money went and I'm like waste waste <laughs> of my money I don't care about fireworks and dances gyrating and big boxes that pull him into the sky you know the only time i've really felt like my money on a production was well spent aside from like musicals and shit was when i saw pink pink's show was fuck off epic bro it was so incredible and it was so clear that everything that i'd spent on that show even though i didn't spend any money i got that ticket for free That was a long time ago though Um, But everyone who'd spent money on that ticket had fucking paid for what they were seeing. Like they, you know, you could tell. But then everyone else, it's almost like oh, well, it's Kendrick, so we have to pay, or it's it's fifty cents, so I'm paying one hundred eighty dollars to see Into Club Live because I want to see Into Club Live, even if it's not very good, I can say I've been there, and I do think that the stage shows have gotten a bit lackluster, you know, it's a bit disappointing. So it's nice, man, it's nice to hear that. Shout out, shout out, Salt, like fucking Super Group. Um, it'd be curious to see if they continue, if they they do more one off stuff just randomly like that would be cool
1: uh well you say random bro literally like they announced it they announced the show like on i think like the thursday beforehand or friday and then the tickets dropped on monday and then the show happened that th- th- this past thursday that's crazy it's just so quick it just happened so How quick kept it was quiet. such a it's just, just no time to think yeah it was just it was no time you literally just had to either copy it Excuse me, cop it or don't cop it. You know what I mean, and just live with what you got. And I'm glad I made the right decision, and I'm glad I put the effort in. Apologies to Ryan, by the way, still for <laughs> for albeit, um, you know, he he went to. a Oops, sorry hit my mic. He um, I was supposed to go to uh, uh to watch a film with him uh, in the BFI that day, and then this came around, and I just hit him up on Sunday. I'm just like Ryan. I gotta tell you bro, I'm gonna give this shit a go. That's if I don't get lifetime, it. Though. If I do get it, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know I mean? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go for this. Like this this has to happen. And he was like, Nah, I get it, it's fine. Um and he went with his brother instead. So, um, you know, I hope he's fine on that front. But yeah, it's just a... Uh... <sighs> Yeah, it was just a whirlwind of a week and, um, you know, I just really based my whole week on that Thursday and uh, was just, you know, hoping that it was worth it and, yeah, just, (laughs) I've never been so vindicated on a financial decision ever, maybe my camera, you know, just, that's, that's, Yeah, I can't think of anything else that was just like, yeah, this was worth the money. uh, Worth his weight in gold, literally. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Saltman, Absolutely nuts.
0: It's fucking great when that happens, but, like, I spent fucking... It's so rare, bro. It's it's so rare. rare. Especially
1: in these days, you know what I mean? Like, even copping a drink, I'm just like... One forty-five, for fuck's sake! Well, I need the drink. The only so. time it's happened, you know I mean, for just me? no, no vindication on buying anything these days, honestly.
0: Not, not in the current climate. The only time it's happened for me is every time I ride my motorcycle, which costs like nearly six grand. I love that motorcycle so much. I'm just like, oh gosh, this is the greatest purchase I've ever made in my entire life. But aside from that no not common especially for shows i mean obviously like i've seen shows that i'm stoked to have paid for but it's because i love the artist so much it's not necessarily oh, because yeah, the show is yeah, yeah, so great yeah. you know
1: yeah there's, there's 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 been plenty of shows i've paid like 20 quid for and i'm just like <laughs> fuck this is such a steal uh, a lot of the shows i hit a lot of the shows i hit are like under 40 quid most of the time so i i always feel you know good personally as a consumer um, to go to those shows and just, you know, get just get some really good music in. And, you know, and it's always, a majority of the time it's very intimate, and I just appreciate that intimacy. Uh, when I go to stuff like the Jazz Cafe or whatever, it's just, um, it feels great to me to go to there. Um, and, you know, pay, in the grand scheme of things, what is so little. Um, even paying, like, I think what was like 35 quid for Schoolboy Q and J-Rock made me feel a bit vindicated because it was just like Bye. to see you know Makes these sense. two artists back to back and it was with my boy and the the and the hype the crowd was so good and the, we were just like we were just having a fucking ball it was good man it was it was really good so i can't yeah it's just um you know festivals are obviously a bit different um depending on what you hear um but you know i'm, I'm uh, I, 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 someone, uh, Ryan, um, actually winced when I said uh, I paid, like, I think 80-something quid for a, uh, All Points East. And that's, you know, Loyal Kana, Nas, Any, Saint, Ezra Collective. That's worth it to me, you know what I mean? That's, that sounds pretty fucking worth it. And I'm seeing all those people for the first time. That seems pretty freaking worth it to me. So, you know, some festivals can be like that, but then some festivals are like... You know, reading festival, which um, can be hundreds of pounds, and I'm just like, get fucked. <laughs> I don't care who's there. Uh, that's not happening to me. So uh, yeah, man, it's it's obviously up to personal perspective, but um, I feel like most of the time, I for for the shows I cop, but very, you know, very lean towards the consumer. Um, to me, um, It never really feels like a stu- uh, like a like I'm being ripped off. Anyway,
0: did I tell you? Did I ask you on? on the pod, how much you think Coldplay tickets are. I can't, I can't remember what episode. Oh yeah, you done. said
1: like, yeah, you said like, I'm just saying. Well, uh, yeah,
0: like $376. Two, 300, like, yeah, 300 Yeah. yeah. 166 is the absolute cheapest. Yikes. And that's like Bro, that's <laughs> fucking in the car park. Like you might, yeah, you might bro, hear them. Bro, I'm not, I,
1: I'm, I'm happy. I'm never going to cop any show for 100 quid plus now. It's not going to happen because I'm just going to be like, is it salt? No? Okay. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> Yeah, that's so totally Sort of saved my wallet for the rest of time. There you go. It's an <laughs> investment. It's a yeah, legit investment and and uh, a great uh, piece of advice uh, by proxy of just like, you see this? You see all this shit that you're watching right now? You ain't going to no show like this anymore. <laughs> so. It ain't going to happen for, for you, so I don't bother paying 100 quid, bro. Uh, who knew sort would give financial advice um, by proxy? Anyway, we shall leave it there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, from the 5VPN, it's been diggis- Digging In The Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I have been Charlie Taylor of The
0: Fifth Elements. I so have been of The Fifth
1: And it looks like we are going to be dropping just after Christmas. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, if you obviously are inclined to uh, c- celebrate the Christmas
0: I holiday. I recording you're cri- on Christmas Day for me, actually. <laughs> 25th, Monday, baby Record Christmas morning Up at 5am <laughs> on Christmas morning Opening
1: presents Recording first as Why the you do. fuck not, bro? Why the fuck Why not? Why the fuck not? The life of Ben Carr right there Outstanding yeah. Nobody else is doing it Nobody else is putting no in the work No one works like hard, ben, right
0: now. No one puts this much Nobody's effort
1: put Are you not recording in fucking Christmas day? No, you fucking nope. ain't Get, Get on, on this level, level. <laughs> Get on this fucking level So with that said Hope <laughs> you all have a good Christmas holiday. Uh, we shall uh, always well, we shall do try and do the same on that front. Uh, but until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. Show was edited by me. Music for the show is Peace video games by bonus points. Thanks to your Music for the billy cheese. Socials with filament Hip Hop, numbers, bonus Points, and Chill Music will be in the shines, as well as the names of projects reviewed with listening. This has been a 5VP production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. I'll dig In, In. Da